page. Why am I calling it this? Well, because Christmas is coming, and in Christ, during Christmas time, we celebrate Advent, the first four Sundays uh, of, uh, before Christmas, December 24th. And uh, we've been dealing with brutal, brutal news headlines lately. And everybody's got an opinion, and many people have these special degrees in Facebook because they know it all, because they saw a post somewhere. And that turns into a spiraling downward spiral of vicious news and opinions, and I even have mine. I actually have had to delete a few posts. Some I've started and I had to delete. I said, ha, I can write this, and then I wrote back, yeah, and I can also not <laughs> delete. Um, it's, it's been really hard. But all those newspaper headlines, those news story headlines, have been distracting us from the true thing we need to be focusing on. And that is this person we say we believe in, Jesus. So let's take a look at this Jesus who is not just another Jew. There's something special about him. What makes Christmas so special? Because there were headlines that happened all through his life that made his story last. If he was just a kid born in Bethlehem and nothing else happened and maybe he died on a cross, there wouldn't be a story. There was a buildup of headlines. All right. Last week we started to cover some of these. So we covered the birth. Obviously that kind of is important. That's how you start. And then the baptism happened where he began his ministry. And then we talked about that last week. We talked about the first miracle, which is really fun. Making the wine out of water. That's cool. I like to have that gift. Sermon on the Mount was the next big deal because of what he taught. He taught things that were so um, counter-cultural. All right? He was messing with the Jews, saying, look, guys, you've been saying this for so long, but I tell you this. This was the real intent of God. And he's correcting it right in the Bible. So we got to read the scriptures with a little bit of discernment and divide it correctly as it needs to be divided, which everybody has their opinion of what rightly divided means. Mine's right. Yours is wrong, right? That's how it works. <laughs> Pretty funny. Well, here's a really cool thing from last time. I saw, I saw this uh, this week. Francois Dutoy uh, published this, uh, posted it, and I thought, hey, I just talked about that. So I want to read this to you. This is about Jesus turning the water into wine and a small little illustration that goes with it. In uh, John 2.10, it says, why would you keep the best wine for last? Everybody serves the better wine first, so that by the time the cheaper wine is served, no one can really tell the difference. And here, you surprise us all by bringing this excellent wine from your storehouse, even though we already had much to drink. That means they had a lot to drink. It is impossible not to tell, this, tell, it, to, not to tell its superiority. So obviously when the, Jesus changed the water to wine, it wasn't just cheap dollar store wine. It was premium stuff and everybody noticed. And here's the little lesson. Even minds intoxicated with inferior religious jargon can immediately tell the difference when the Holy Spirit transforms ordinary conversation into the wonderful, blissful wine of revelation and the merry celebration of life. I thought that was really cool. Here's what, if you didn't quite get that, here's what it means. In the system of churchianity and religion, the system which is focused on the rules instead of the relationship with Christ and all that he has done for us and how we've been made one with him. If you're stuck in the system, then when you hear really good news, it's going to be, oh my goodness, I can tell the difference right away. 
It's kind of funny how people who don't do the church thing do not consider themselves Christians. Look at the church, especially in the West, and how ridiculous they're acting. The ridiculous claims, the horrific judgmentalism, and they can tell the difference. They know what good wine is, and they know what bad wine is, and that's bad wine. We're called to good wine, a better message, a hope-filled message. If the message you're hearing from whatever teacher or church, if it's about bashing you and beating you up and making sure you grovel to maybe get God to like you, it's wrong. Run. Quit. Go for the good stuff. Go for the good wine, the good news. If it's not good news, it's not good news. That works. Let's keep going. Feeding of 5,000. This is another really, really big, uh, a big deal. Um, this, this part of the story, there's more going on here than you realize. Here we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them cover this story, and that's a rare thing. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the same time span being covered by four different authors. They don't all share the same stories. In fact, when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, those are more in line. But when you get to John, it's far more relational. There's a different heart in, in John's style of writing that makes it come alive. He's speaking from a relationship he really had, making the text come alive. It, it matters, okay? So, but this particular story is in all of them. It's like the Christmas story is only in a couple of the books, not all. So I find that fascinating as well. But here's what happens. From five small loaves and two fish, Jesus created enough food to feed many more than 5,000 people. All right? The Gospels tell us there were 5,000 men present, but Matthew adds that there were also women and children. Hmm. Some estimate the crowd was as high as 20,000 people. This is a profound picture of the heart of Christ, always looking out for others, fully aware of our needs. They said they were hungry. The disciples told Jesus, hey, just send them back to the villages. And Jesus knew full well by the time they got back and marched back to wherever they came from, because people came from a great distance. And he said, no, 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 no. That, that's, that, they're here. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's provide for them. And the disciples are going, we haven't got any money to pay for all the food for this family people. We can't do that. And he says, just watch. And boom, he does it. Then there's a lesson here. Learn that seeing, before he multiplied the loaves and fish, Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down. This is important. To sit down. You and I rush. We rush ahead. Oh, what's God going to do? Boom, we go. We need to have lunch. Go, and you go crazy making your food. And Jesus is telling everybody, sit down. There's a sense of awe here. There's a sense of calm. And here's the picture. It's the power of God to accomplish what we cannot do while we rest in him. He told them to sit, and then he did the miracle. They had no part in it. They couldn't take any credit. Well, we prayed the right prayer. Oh, we had 102 prayer warriors. Therefore, God has to listen. Who makes that stuff up? Religion does. And here Jesus says, I alone got this. Sit down and let me serve you. <gasps> Do you hear that? Do you remember Jesus saying, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. Well, how many Christian leaders want to be served? Who want the title? 
that's humbling and scary. Jesus is the perfect model here. There was nothing that people could do to feed themselves. Only he could do that. It became a feast that was not only sufficient, but it was bountiful. They had 12 baskets left over. Like abundant, overflowing. Very much like Psalm 23. My cup runs over. That means like over, spill over, and just oh, like a lot. Right? He wasn't kidding. Then we have this, I think this next story is one of my favorites, now that I understand a little bit better what it means. This is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. It happens like this. Transfiguration means a change in form. So we have these three guys, uh, Peter, James, and John. They see Jesus do this funky quantum thing, all right? We're, we're talking like lights, action, whoa. This is like a, a Doctor Who episode or something or some Star Trekky thingy or uh, Star Warsy, whatever. Like it's all, what? They have never seen anything like this. He transfigured in front of them, and then two dudes show up that weren't there a few seconds ago. How would that not freak you out? That would freak me out pretty big. Now, what I don't have in here is the disciples, they said, hey, let's make tabernacles for you, build homes for you. They were thinking human. They were thinking, uh, I don't know what they were thinking. They weren't thinking spiritually, that's for sure, because they weren't capable of it yet. All right? Jesus was changed before their eyes to reveal his true nature. And by the way, whatever nature Jesus is, you are too. You are the very nature of Jesus right now, whether you believe it or not. Well, that's not what I was taught. Well, that's great. Aren't you teachable? Don't you? You don't know everything yet, do you? Didn't think so. So, time to learn more. Time to learn who you really are in Christ. <coughs> one of the beauties of this whole New Testament is that we've been made one with Christ. That is our identity. So is the person you can't stand. They're one with Christ, whether you like it or not. Yeah, but they like this political leader or that one. So what? Treat them as brothers and sisters. Now, this is hard for me to, to do because, <laughs> you know, we have opinions. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. But honestly, if we see with the eyes of Christ, this changes. And Jesus revealed himself. He showed them his glory in a way that was not possible and had never been seen before. His divine glory radiated from him, changing his face and clothing in such a way the gospel writers had trouble communicating it. All right? It's a pretty freaky story. Just as the apostle John used many metaphors to describe what he saw in visions of revelation. Did you catch that? Metaphors? <coughs> metaphors. Uh, so did uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as they have to resort to images like lightning, the sun, or light. They all used words to describe Jesus' appearance. Different perspectives, different people, different personality types. If you have a forensic scientist here, they'll, they'll use different terminology than a child will. Well, they're bright! You know, like, but a, a scientist will use different terminology. Each of us come from a different background. Not, not only is it not important of our definition of the words, but to be able to hear everyone else's definitions too. Because it makes us understand one another better. They're trying to describe what happened here. Moses and Elijah also 
are in this picture. So the two individuals that show up are Moses and Elijah. Huh. These are the two people, the only two in the Old Testament, that apparently they couldn't find their bodies. Like Elijah was raised up and went up to heaven. There was no earth suit to be found. Moses, they never found either. So kind of a neat theory going on there. But here they are. Surprise! We're back. <laughs> but only for a few minutes. I don't know how long that was. But the first two men represented something really important. This three individual representation is something we cannot let go of. We must look at this carefully. First of all, the law. Who would be the one who covered the law? Obviously Moses. Very good. Moses represents the law, which was impossible to keep. All right? Everybody, everybody's touting the law. I've got to follow the law. No, you don't have to follow the law. That was given to Jews a long time ago. It was never intended for you to keep. Besides, the intent of that whole law is summed up in, in the life of Christ in you. All right? You don't need a list in front of you. You listen to the Spirit of Christ in you. And then we have the prophets. What's so big about the prophets? They're the ones who prophesied about Jesus coming. This is really important, okay? Jesus came to fulfill the law that no human could keep, and it was prophesied he was come to do that and that he would die for you and I. Oh, my goodness. Do you see why these headlines matter? This is huge. And then Jesus says, or the second fact is, they talked about his upcoming death in Jerusalem. It shows their foreknowledge of these events and the sovereign plan of God was unfolding just as he had foreordained. Listen to this. When did Peter take off? A lot, okay? He, he really tried to change Jesus' mind. He had a hard time believing and seeing that Jesus would die. No, 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 this is not going to happen. I'll never deny you. <laughs> he did. So even the transfiguration, which was like a really funky deal, all right? Because if you and I saw something like that, we'd never forget it. Even that was not enough to convince them to remember what they were talking about. It didn't click. How many times have you bumped into people that don't understand the gospel? Who don't understand that we're really under grace? Or don't understand that God loves us unconditionally? Don't get mad at blind people for being blind. All right? Don't get mad at blind people for being blind. God spoke from heaven and commanded the disciples to hear him. God said, He's, there's Moses and Elijah, and God's voice came down and said, listen to him, my son. Not the law, not the prophets. Listen to my son. That says a lot, okay? That's a huge deal. Some people may not connect those dots, but you think about it, you'll, you'll connect them. Jesus had the authority to command them. Then we get to the story of Lazarus. This is a really fun one. Oh, yeah. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha of Bethany, was a personal friend of Jesus, a really good friend, one of his best friends, all right? And that's why they sent for Jesus when he got sick. Well, Jesus delayed several days before going to Bethany, knowing that Lazarus would be dead long enough by then to verify the amazing display of divine power that was about to happen, all right? He was not, he was late for a funeral, that's right. I have, I've, I do a lot of funerals. I see people come in five, ten minutes late. You know, okay, maybe traffic was busy. But I got people walking in just as I'm doing the final to middle wording, and they walk in as if it's starting. I'm thinking, 
Really? They sit down and said, please stand. <laughs> it's perfect. They're that late. But no, Jesus was worse. He was four days late for his best friend's funeral. Absolutely. And then he does something profound. Jesus weeps. When Jesus shows up at the tomb, he bawls his eyes out. It doesn't say, it does not say, and they observed a trickle of a tear down the right side of his cheek. It doesn't say that. It says Jesus wept. Have you ever wept? Like body weeping, like full on embarrassing, please don't look at me when I'm crying kind of weeping. Jesus wept. And why would he weep? Two things. He was fully human and fully God. And being fully God and fully human, he identified with the pain of those around him. But didn't he know he's going to raise Lazarus? Yes, but that did not stop him from being human. All right? He identifies with our pain today. Because he's human, he identifies with it. This is the Jesus we say we believe in. He's for us, not against us. Really important to get this right. By raising Lazarus from the grave, Jesus was reiterating his authority as God and his supremacy over death. This was a big miracle. I think he only raised four people total in the recorded scriptures. As with any, many other miracles and incidents, one of the goals was that the disciples and we may believe. These miracles were done so we would believe. Even the one person who asked for healing, uh, Jesus asked, well, do you believe? The poor person, I, 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 I do, but help my unbelief. Because they knew God could see, Jesus could see right through their intent. And whatever little doubt was there, they had to be transparent. Say, yeah, but help my unbelief. Being honest with the unbelief. And that's cool. Some people in the Christian world say that it's, it's wrong to express doubt. That is baloney. Whoever made that up, I'm sorry, that's a guilt trip. And does not allow for our authentic human journey through faith. Don't put somebody into an expectation that's going to cause them to downward spiral because of some weird thing that says, you're not allowed to doubt. Oh, yes, you can. We are allowed to. We just don't stay there. It's for our benefit to grow and learn. Somebody else may come along and help you out of that doubt. So you don't stay there. You may help somebody else out of their doubt because you've been through hell and back and have observed the other side that God walked with you through your trouble. And now you can speak help to somebody else who's doubting. You don't guilt trip them and clobber them over the head. You shouldn't be doubting. No, love. Be kind. Be gentle. That is the expression of grace here. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life and asked her if she believed what, she was, what he was saying. This is the basics of the Christian life. We're buried with him, raised with him by his authority over death. Even our faith is a gift from God. You cannot muster up your own faith. Not mustard, muster. You can't muster up your faith. All right? You can't tell people you need to have more faith. What does that even mean? Like, we've, we, well, I've taught them that before. We'll, we'll get into it. But not today. The faith you have right now is a gift from God to you. The measure you have, oh, what a beautiful measurement that is. If it feels like it's this big, oh, that's awesome. If you think it's this big, that's awesome. So we've covered the birth, 
the headlines of the birth, the baptism. You start putting all these headlines together, suddenly you've got a pretty serious story going on. All right? The Sermon on the Mount, feeding of the 5,000, the transfiguration, raising of Lazarus. By the way, the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus, this was the final straw for the religious leaders. That's it. We've got to get rid of this Jesus, and we've got to kill Lazarus too. They plotted to take them both out because they're such a threat to the religious system. It wasn't the Romans who did this. It was the religious system that took out Jesus. God didn't kill Jesus. Romans did through the direction of the religious leaders. Wake up. And Jesus submitted to it in love. And he took us all with him. And then we died with Christ. And we rose with Christ. We have been reconciled. Now, be reconciled. Believe it. Jesus did many other things after, uh, sorry, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would, have be, that would be written. So we only have a snapshot. You can read the Gospels in a very short period of time, right? Really quick. And so much more happened. And I'm glad we weren't given every single detail because then we wouldn't have to think. We would use it as control. See, it says right here. According to everybody's thing. Have you ever had anybody tell you, the Bible plainly says. Well, plainly says it to you. Not to everybody. Be careful with that arrogance. It's not as plain as you think. And if you're, if you're touting that phraseology, you got some learning to do. And some humbling to do. Humble pie. After this event, the triumphal entry happened where Jesus came in on a donkey into the city. The Last Supper happened. He got arrested in the garden. The crucifixion and burial. The resurrection. The post-resurrection appearances. And then the ascension. Okay? Like that. These are the headlines. I didn't have time for all those. That's why they're (laughs) quickly in the last slide. (laughs) Because we're going to Advent next week and i got to wrap this up. It's good news. This is good news. The reason we get to celebrate Christmas is because of the headlines. When you see the bad news headlines in your newspaper or on the radio, or hear it on the radio, remember there's a better story that goes back further, that speaks of a greater hope, that rises above all of our issues in our culture today. Focus on the hope of Christ in you. Be an encourager. Quit spreading bad news. Be a good news bearer. Be light. Just like in the transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured, his light did what? What was the word? Radiated. You are the radiated light of Christ. Be that light to others. Can they even tell? Huh. Great, good question. Let your heart ask that question. Father, teach us how to focus on you, especially when we're discouraged, especially when we're depressed, especially when we don't feel we have hope, please take our chin, raise it up, and look in our eyes and remind us we're loved. Remind us that we're forgiven. Remind us that we have already been made right with you, and you've called us to simply respond. That is our response ability, the ability to respond. Teach us how to do that well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.